could, turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And while you're turning there, if just for a moment, uh, I can just kind of share a little bit of my heart, be transparent. This week has been uniquely heavy. It's heavy to hear of leaders falling leaders covering up sin, not, not here at Colonial Heights, but from the Southern Baptist Convention. It's heavy to hear of the sinful act of a mass shooting. It's heavy to read social media posts from people spending so much time on political-ish stances, inflation, and possibly even missing out on the opportunity to highlight the mercy of God and simply weeping with those who weep. It's heavy to consider not just how to see and hear these things, but also how to respond to it. What is our task in responding to such evil? There was even yesterday like a joyful heaviness as I performed uh, a wedding. It's good, but that, that can be heavy in a different way. So one thing I want to say to you, uh, as we turn to scripture once again, that you can know that when things are heavy, Jesus says, I will make your burden light. So I don't know what made your week heavy or if it was heavy at all, but if this week was heavy for you because of any of these issues or because of depression or because of anxiety, or because of job struggles, or marriage difficulties, or parenting hardships, or whatever they may be, Jesus makes your burden light. So even as we head into Hebrews 3, that's not what the text says. I just want you to know that's what scripture says, that's what Jesus says of himself, that, his, that with him, the burden is light. So he is better. Uh, he is better than all of the other things of this world. And I, I hope that we will see that yet again today in Hebrews. So why don't we do this? Why don't we just jump right in to Hebrews 3? We'll read Hebrews 3 and see what God has in store for us today. So beginning in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus had been counted worthy of more, than, more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, wrath, 
they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence from firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with him, was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. In this text, which can get kind of long as you try to read through that, it jumps back and forth a little bit from actually quoting from a psalm, quotes from the psalm again in chapter 4. So there's a little bit hard to, to follow some of that, but I want us to see three, three considerations that we'll find from this text. The first is I want us to consider the church. Consider the church. What, what is the church called to be? What do we see in this text about the church at all? Some of you may be thinking, I didn't, I didn't see that word in there. So, so how did you come to that? Well, I would argue that the church is, in this text, the church is charged to be faithful. The church is charged to be faithful. Just look at the first couple verses again. Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. We will actually consider him in just a moment. The apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses, who was faithful in all God's house, right? This, this part of this that we see here is when it describes the holy brothers, those that are being sanctified, those that are in this family, Part of the sanctification process, right, the becoming holy, being made right with God, is knowing God more and more and more and following after him and being obedient to him, right? In fact, as a, as a church, one of the ways we seek to do that is by studying God's word together. Yes, in this room, week after week after week, and in life group rooms, many of you just came from a life group or you're about to go to life group. It's, it's in those settings, but it's also in your own personal time. And so we provide for you uh, a monthly like, Bible reading plan. And so, so June is out. So if you go look at the tables, uh, please pick up your June Bible reading plan and and. I, I, I make this sound minimalistic, but it really should be totally doable for any of us to read two chapters of the Bible a day, right? That should be, that should be a minimum for us, but maybe that's, a, maybe that's a starting point for you. And it doesn't matter if you haven't read at all, ever. You can, or, well, if you don't know how to read, well, we can help you with that. But like, uh, the, the Bible reading plan, pick that up, use it, make, make use of the tools that we're providing in that regard because there's this task of being holy, right? The, the church, the family of God 
is called to holiness, called to a a righteousness. And and I would say this to all of you who just stood before us uh, a little while ago and just a few moments ago that we are sending out Uh, Yes, we are thankful and proud to send all of those names. We're thankful for those that we're going to send to the Dominican Republic in just a couple weeks and thankful for those that we'll send to any other country or any other place or across the street. But, But you need to know that your call to make disciples is not uh, override your call to holiness. In fact, you, you are missing out on your responsibility of disciple-making if you yourself are not sensing your responsibility to be holy and pure before a holy and righteous God. Right? This, is, this is why in Leviticus, like, we're told, be holy for the Lord your God is holy. Peter says it again. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Quoting the Lord himself who said, I am holy, so you be holy. You're supposed to be like Christ. You're supposed to live in his righteousness, in his perfection. Sanctification, right? What does does that look like to, to be in the process of being made holy? I don't want to pretend in any way that I nor you will not fall or fail. I hope you are very aware of that in me. I, I fail. I sin. What makes us different from the world is that we have, we are counting on, relying on the death and resurrection of Christ to be sufficient for our failures. It doesn't, doesn't mean they go away. It doesn't mean they become non-existent. It means that over and over again, we call on him, that we, we ask him for forgiveness and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. You know how he's able to be just? Because his son died on the cross for us. Justice isn't wipe, like just pushing it aside. Justice was pouring out the punishment on someone else instead of on you and on me. So we look toward restoration. Yes, in this this path of sanctification, this should be something that happens for you like day after day after day. It should be common for you to think back through your day and think, what are areas that I need to to call out to God and ask him to, to cleanse once again? Forgive me for failing once again. For, forgive me for the thought I had. Forgive me for the arrogance, the pride that I thought. Forgive me for lingering too long on watching something I shouldn't have watched. Forgive me for saying the thing I shouldn't have said. Forgive me for not saying the thing I should have said. This is sanctification. So when, when the author of Hebrews is speaking, he's saying, holy brothers, like, hey, all of you who have been made holy in Christ, all of, the, all of you, all of the family who are in in this way. I love how next he also uses this phrase, heavenly calling, right? Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, there's something unique there. Specifically, it makes me think of the, the calling of salvation and of glorification that will one day be. You know, Kylie just mentioned this a little while ago that, that one day we'll all be around the throne, right? Singing and shouting. But when we're here, this is just like a foretaste of what is to come. 
Right? This is why Paul in Romans 8 says that those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. That, that's like a, a way of writing that, that says, like, it's so going to happen that we can put it in past tense. Does that make sense? Like, he calls it that we are also glorified, even though we are not yet glorified, because it's so definitively going to happen. If you've been called by God, and if you've been justified by him, if you have, you're in that sanctification process, you can rest assured, you will one day be glorified in Christ. This is, this is the work of, like, uh, theological jargon is, like, the perseverance of the saints, that those who are called in Christ, those who are made alive in Christ will be forever alive in him. We don't fall away. Yes, we fail. Yes, we sin. But by God's grace, over and over and over, he forgives us over and over and over again. So the church, the church is then charged to be faithful we're charged to, to live in this heavenly calling, to live in this holiness and in this righteousness. And, and the church is charged to be family, right? Holy brothers, he says. Yes, we share in a heavenly calling. And he, he calls this family, it's like a house, right? Where we're not just a place where we gather, but, but think like a home, right? Think like uh, there, there's something different between a house and a home. House, we know this. House is just the place that maybe you sleep. You put your head at night, but a home is what family makes it when they're together. And I would argue that for us. This is home. Uh, we were talking, I was talking with David just yesterday about all the special things that happen on what is just so happens to be this, this little square footage of property, right? I mean, memories that people will genuinely never forget. Marriages, like starting right here. People calling out to Christ for salvation happening in this room people being baptized, people being commissioned and sent out. Like the, some of the most monumental moments in a person's life, and they've happened in this room. That's what makes this like home. I remember talking to a, one of the, the staff kids uh, during, uh, like right at the end of the COVID days of no one could be here, whatever. They said, I miss the hallway, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like that they missed gray walls. You can paint your hallway gray at home, right? It was, it was that they miss all that it represents. This is home. This is home to them. And I hope that it is home to you. This is why in Romans, again, Paul writes, for children, for heirs, Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order, like we get to call him father. We're adopted into this family. We, we are then called brothers and sisters. This is home. That's why 
as family, as holy ones with this heavenly calling. In Ephesians 5, it tells us that we are to be imitators of God. We are to, to look like him, follow after him. And I, I wanna make this statement to us. Family, family shouldn't hurt one another. Yeah, hopefully you received my email this week. Um, if you're a church member here, I, I hope that came through to you um, regarding the cover-up uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention. My heart was broken multiple times as I have considered the tragic mishandling of abuse with, within some of the leadership at the SBC. And the fact that that happened at all is a tragic reality of the depth of sin. And the fact that these acts have not only happened but were covered up by others is deplorable. I want you to hear this. One, if this is, has happened to any of you, I'm so sorry for any pain that you, you should not have ever happened to you. And I want you to know that whether you need, want to speak with Diane Wentworth or elders or staff or uh, like, like find someone to speak that to, and I, I commit to you that we will be here to listen, to hear, and, and we will do whatever next steps are needed in that regard. I don't even know what all they will be. But if that is the case, we do not want to cover up. We do not want to hide. Um, I want you to know, even this week, I began going through a curriculum and I plan to take our staff and elders through a training on how we can better serve the church in these very areas. In addition, you can know that we are currently establishing a better manner in which for all people, men and women, to be heard during a time of crisis, to be seen as valuable. I want you to hear this. And I, I really do pray that you believe me when I say, I love you, church. I, I value you. And more importantly than whatever I think, God loves you and values you and, and sees your hurt. As, as a man here, I want you to hear this, men. God has designed you to sacrifice for others and serve in such a way that God is glorified and Christ is exemplified in your life. This means that you must set aside your flesh and live by the spirit of God. Women, God has created you to exemplify the character of Christ in and through the church. You are no less important as any man and you are designed by God to demonstrate the unique sensitivity to the realities of this world. Boys, listen, boys. God made you just the way you are to show off what a great God he is. God desires to use you to help others see how good and how strong and how loving God is.
And girls, listen, God made you just the way you are because he wants you just the way you are. You are charged to live without fear, holding on to all the good that God is, that you might show off how good and how strong and how loving God is. This is one way we consider the church, right? This is how we think of the church, men and women, boys and girls, made masterfully in the image of God for the glory of God. So may we as a church look at one another as image bearers of the most high. Certainly, certainly when we do that, we will steer away from sin because of this holy heavenly calling. And when we fail, may we bring it quickly to the light that God might forgive us for our sins. So, that is how we consider the church. Now let us consider Moses. Moses, right? If you have a translation that, that gives titles or subtitles, so to speak, your chapter three might say something like Jesus is greater than Moses or better than Moses. And Moses would have been elevated as probably the, the best of the best in the Old Testament, right? So it's, it's like Moses and Abraham and Elijah, like these are the, the, not just the forefathers, these are the guys. These are the ones that everybody looks to and points to. And so as writing to the Hebrews, the, the people of the Jewish descendants, they're gonna look back and say, yeah, but Moses was pretty great, right? You're calling somebody better than him, he better be awesome. And, and yet that's exactly what we see. You see, Moses was called a faithful servant, right? Even in verse, the second part of verse two, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Verse five, Moses was faithful in all God's house. It says this again, as a servant. He served there and, and served well. Think about this. We just reflected on house and home and family the family of God, the people of God would have seen Moses as this type of fatherly figure who would have cared for them well, provided for them, spoke on behalf of God to them, and even went before God on behalf of them. So think like prophet and priest, kind of all packaged in one for the people of God. Before there was Aaron, uh, as a priest, there was Moses. Because, because of that, Moses was, was really called like the family leader. Verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? This is like his family leadership, right? The Certainly the first part of Exodus, we, we see kind of a miraculous story, Moses in a basket and being protected. And then he grows up and flees after being a murderer, which is pretty problematic. Uh, and then, then we have the burning bush in Exodus three and four. Those, that's pretty miraculous part of the story, right? But then, then really the rest of his story is his work as a leader pulling by God's help, bringing the people out of Egypt. And, and it's this story that the people of Israel go back to over and over and over and over again. Jesus even goes back to it at the Passover, right? 
I mean, this, is, this was like the point of the Passover was to remember those days with Moses. There's, there's good and bad parts of Moses, right? Good, leadership. Even, even as he learns the different types of leadership, his, his time with God, like he's one who stood before God, the Almighty. Like there's, he's, he's, he's got a willingness to learn at least at parts of times. In many ways, right? He's, he's functioning as this priest and this prophet kind of combined. But there's some pretty bad with Moses, isn't there? I mean, you can gloss over that real fast. Anger seemed to be a constant struggle for him to the point that his anger drove him to murder. His anger drove him to, in such anger, like he displayed it in such a way that he wasn't allowed to go in the promised land. That's a pretty big problem. Like the leader of the people that seemed to be doing so right that stood before God, like is the one who, who delivers the 10 commandments. And yet, he doesn't get in the promised land. So while with Moses, there is good and bad. With Jesus, there's just good. So let's consider Jesus. Jesus is declared the faithful son Look again, we, we've spent a lot of time in these two verses, but I want you to go back again to verses one and two. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. So therefore, church, people of God, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful, right? This apostle and high priest of our confession I think this is especially important because as we, in, in the weeks ahead, as we dive into chapters four and five and six and seven and eight, in fact, over and over, we'll learn about Jesus being the better priest. But if, if we only even compare that to Moses, right? Moses had these failures. Yes, he was faithful as a servant, but he was a sinner, right? I mean, it's not even hidden from us. It's not like, like something that we it just didn't get told. Like we know for sure. And we also know for sure Jesus never sinned. There isn't a good and a bad with Jesus. It's just good. Faithfulness of Jesus was not just faithful in God's house. He was faithful over God's house, right? This, this is a declaration. He's given the house. He's given responsibility. And we, as the family, we are that house, we are who he has sovereign rule and authority over. This is why that Jesus is declared the family hope. Right? If Moses was, was a, a family leader, Jesus is the family hope. 
He's what we look to. He's, he's what we need. Verse six, we are his house. We are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Verse 19, so we see that we were unable to enter because of unbelief. Listen to me, listen carefully. If you do not believe in Jesus, if you do not place your trust and your hope in him, you don't get to enter into this eternal rest. So I wonder for you, where is your hope today? Right, I wonder after a week like this. And again, maybe you're weak, maybe you were like oblivious to the the challenges of the world. And like ignorance is bliss for you. And so it's like you just didn't know, and and you hear these things from me this morning, and you're like, oh, that's a downer. Well, regardless of whether you had a downer earlier this week or You had one just a few minutes ago. Where do you place your hope when you have a downer? See, we learned this week that we cannot place our hope in our government leaders to solve all of our problems. That's not where our hope lies. We learned this week that we cannot place our hope in pastors to always protect us. We we learned that we cannot place our hope in the hands of sinful people like a sinful Moses who will fail and fall. But we can, church, we can place our hope in an eternal Savior named Jesus Christ, who never fails, never falls short, never drops the ball, never has sin to cover up. We can place our trust and our hope in him. So if if you do not know this Jesus, May you meet him today as the son, the son of God who came and took on the punishment for your sin and my sin by dying on the cross, taking on, like we, we deserved to die that death, but Jesus took it. That's why we can place our hope in him. So I would just say as a, as I believe the author of Hebrews is saying, there's a better hope. Someone better to hope in. So hope in Jesus. Place your hope in him. There will be a double negative here, but do not be unable to enter because of your unbelief. Put another way, hope in Jesus with your belief and trust in him so that you can enter eternity with Christ. This is why God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that's you, believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So as you think about a response for today, what is how do we how do we respond to Hebrews 3? For those of you who have never trusted in Jesus, your response today is to call on him. 
Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Call on him and tell him that you need him. You need hope. And maybe you got questions about that. And so in just a moment to my left, there will be those who would love to, to speak with you and answer questions, pray with you. Maybe it is you hear this talk about family and it reminds you that you want to be in this particular family. I wanna invite you to belong here to Colonial Heights. If you're a follower of Christ, we would welcome you to be a part of our family. In fact, this coming, uh, this afternoon, we will have a uh, Spanish Membership Matters class. And, and this Wednesday evening at six o'clock, we'll have an English Membership Matters class. And uh, I welcome you. I invite you to be a part of either one of those that you can learn more about what it looks like to belong here to Colonial Heights. You see, uh, our response today, for those of us who are in this heavenly calling, in this holy brotherhood, this, this family, our, our calling is to join with the angels in heaven and sing, holy is our God. It's to, it's to with foretaste in mind, look forward to the day that there is no more weeping, there's no more heavy weeks, there's no more heartache and hardship. Instead, there is only the celebration of the King of Kings. So as we respond, whether that means you need to come and speak with someone or share a burden, prayer request, a care, a hardship, or simply to celebrate the hope we have in Christ. Let us all respond in the way that is most pleasing to the Lord. Stand with me as we respond to him.